Oh, 2020, what a year it's been. I think what triathlon has taught me is just to be myself. There's something about being the one who knows where you're going that is really empowering. So much of women's rights are tied up with women's sports. I was 54. I had a kidney transplant. If I can do it, surely you can do it. Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Chura, and I'm joined by my co-host, the two-time fastest known time holder. Is that holder? That holder doesn't seem like the right word. What's the right word, Alyssa? Yeah, fastest record holder, I think, right? Record holder. Okay, record holder. Throwing re- Alyssa Gadeski. How are you doing, Alyssa? Haley, I'm doing well. Um... I was really excited this week to come on and hopefully be talking about having a race and 2020 strikes again. The mountain bike race I was hoping to race this past weekend was canceled, which was definitely made for the right choice. Um, I think, you know, as we go into these winter months, the COVID numbers are increasing everywhere and Virginia is no different, though. Um, and so the the race management company made the decision to not have the race in interest of public health and safety, which, of course, you have to agree with. But I had done some panic training through the week, Haley. I was like covered in bruises from all my panic mountain bike training. And I have to say, though, it at least paid off because we did go out and ride yesterday. And I feel like my the my like ability curve was like an exponential growth through the week because of my like little panic training sessions. And I like I really do. I, I feel like I see some Xterra in my future after my ride yesterday. Like I'm it's clicking. It's all starting to click. Good. And you'll, you'll put those skills to good use eventually. How about your virtual 5k? Did that still happen? Your virtual 5k turkey trot at 10k pace. How did that go? Oh yeah, I did have a race week. I had a virtual race week. It was awesome. Haley. I did a solo time trial on the track. We could, for people who maybe didn't listen last week, um, I I coach with Hillary Biscay and Biscay Coaching, and uh, the Turkey Trot Challenge was for Thanksgiving week to run either a 5K or a 10K um, effort. And I had picked the 5K effort for myself, but I was hoping to be able to run at 10K pace is like my ultimate goal, which doesn't make sense at all if you're like sitting there a little befuddled by that comment. But um, so my goal was basically to be running. I wanted to be like under 20, but I wanted to be well enough under 20 that it wasn't like really skirting under 20. And Haley, I ran a 1941. Boom. Ooh, nice yeah. work. Thank That's you. That's really solid. How did it feel? It felt awful, but like <laughs> 12 and a half laps around a track. I think anyone can like, like that the countdown from 12 and a half was like, I can do this. I can do this. Like, this is so hard, but like, I can do this, you know? And so, and it's just so nice, like on a track. Like, I think I was just meant to be a track runner sometimes because I just, I love the consistency. I love like every hundred, just looking at my watch and being like, okay, 23 seconds. And then being like, oops, 24 seconds. And you got to speed up a little bit. You got to like adjust to the wind. Like I had a slight headwind. And then I was like, oh, now I have the slight tailwind. I can like relax a little bit. Like I love those mental trips of tricks for every little lap. And it yeah. So I don't know, it, but it did. It felt really bad. And I felt like I wanted to die for like this last mile. But then you only have four laps left. Like I like to think about things like that. So would you ever combine your passion for the track with your passion for very long distance efforts and go for like a 24 hour record or 48 hours or even longer? I think the problem is, is that I'm 
I'm not fast enough to do like the 24 hour. I mean, the 24 hour records and 48 hours too are like really legit like paces, right? So I think I would have to enter. I have thought about this and I'm not even sure the exact name of the race, but there's a race that takes place. It's like the transcendence 2000 mile or something. I, it's not 2000 miles. Don't worry, mom. But um, it's like it takes place around like a block or two, like a square. I think it's just a square block in like Brooklyn or something. And I it's think like it a very, is like 3000 miles, like 2000 okay. or 3000 miles. <laughs> so I think it is that long. I know. What so race I think I have about. to. OK, so I listened to a podcast about that. It wasn't too long ago. And as that was happening, I, that was something where I was like, you know, I bet I would actually be this would be like up my alley kind of thing. Um, but it's like, I think it's really hard to get into that because they, it's it is 30, like, 3,100 miles. Okay. Yeah. So, so 3,100 <laughs> miles. Maybe I need you to find something in it. the middle between that and between the 24 hour thing that takes like a week, right? It's like a seven day thing for most people. I think I think it's no, gonna it take like, like a, a month. month for some people. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can run 3,000 miles. <laughs> All right. I have like a map the map on that is quite I feel I don't know. I need to obviously I need to refresh my memory. But my main point of this being Haley is that, you know, I you have, have 52 <laughs> days, 52 days to complete it. And it is. It's like a square block in Brooklyn that they go around or like the, the record, somewhere in Manhattan. Right. The world record is 40 days and nine hours. OK. OK. I think. No, nah, you might. You, the, the women's record is 48 days. OK. Oh, you See, got like this. I, you know, so. I don't know. Things like that have stuck in my brain, but um, I have a ways to go, I guess. You know, it's always on the bucket list for something like that. But um, Haley, how about you? How about how was your your Thanksgiving trotting? Did you do any trotting? I, I did the virtual Peachtree 10K. I did it as more of a uh, training run. It was really it was kind of snowy, but it was beautiful out. I brought Cowboy with me. So uh, unlike the the actual Peachtree 10K that normally happens on the 4th of July. You run down Atlanta. You have major crowds. Dogs are definitely not allowed. The Bozeman version had snow and four-legged friends and slightly slower paces. But it was it was wonderful. It was, it was really a nice run. I wonder. That visual just made me think about people racing through Atlanta with dogs. And I was like, imagine if the Olympic Trials Marathon had everyone had to take their dog. Like, I bet you would have done really well in a race where like you had like the marathon Olympic trials, like it's still for the Olympics. So like, (laughs) so I don't know if Cowboy would make it 26 miles. Oh, and he loves, okay. Cowboy also gets hot when it's like above like 40. He has a lot of fur. So we would need a really cold day. He loves the snow. And so if he could do it, he would do really well if it was a snowy course. And um, he also does not believe in switchbacks. So he <laughs> thinks it's so funny to like watch me run around switchbacks and he just cuts right up the middle and he beats me and he laughs at me at the top. And he and then when we're going down, he like waits for me to run down and he st- waits at the top and then he just bombs down and he still beats <laughs> me and he thinks it's so funny. And I'm like, that would be a DQ cowboy. <laughs> So he might have some trouble with the rules, but I think we could, we could do all right. I mean, how would you and Ramona do? Terrible. We would, (laughs) we would definitely need like a very, very cold day. And I think 
maybe you know what maybe she's on my plan of like maybe she wants to just do the 40 day race instead like I think she could do slow and steady so I mean she takes after my own heart so um I'll 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 write to the that race people and see if there's a division for the, the dog division perfect but um Alyssa we have a couple housekeeping items for live feisty um our like feisty feistiness um our feisty friends uh our, pa- yes, our sponsors, right? We have, yeah, we have a very exciting thing happening in December. Can you believe it's December? So uh, we're now a couple days in and we have the 12 days of feisty, which is ongoing. So it started December 1st and it will go through December 12th, the 12 days of feisty and pay attention to all the live feisty media channels. They will have exclusive deals from all the brand partners and each day has a new deal. So very exciting. You can wake up and check it and then hop on that as soon as you see it. Um, so be watching for the 12 days of feisty. And also we have a, um, special kind of December special from form goggles. They are doing their free express shipping until December 10th. So definitely hop on that deal. Um, as well. That is, that's like separate. So that'll be going till December 10th. So form goggles, free express shipping, Definitely a good way to make sure that it's in your hands or someone's stocking before the holidays. That's true. That is a that is a good skill or a good skill, a good thing to have because um, it is hard. Like the time goes fast and you're like, oh, I'll get your gift to you in February. <laughs> so it was a good deal, though, but not with your form goggles. You'll get those in, if you order by December 10th. So this episode is coming out on Thursday, December 3rd. So you have, you know, a whole nother week of feisty deals and then at least one week of uh, Form Goggles free express shipping. So don't delay too much to our, our loyal listeners if you are uh, jumping on those feisty friends bandwagons. Haley, our mailbag is empty. So I know there's not a whole lot going on, you guys, but if you do have any questions at all that you would like Haley and I to talk about on the podcast with our recorded audience, then please send them in to ironwomenpodcast at gmail. Dot com. Iron Women Podcast at gmail.com. Iron Women Podcast at gmail.com. I had to say it three times because I heard that people remember things if you say them in three. So I'm sure everyone's just forgetting and that's why they're not sending in their questions. So Iron Women Podcast at gmail.com. Throwing in that fourth one. Um, and Alyssa, we have a really, really good interview this week. So we're not going to waste too much time before we we jump into this because it is it's a race week for a lot of athletes. And it's a big one. Challenge Daytona is happening this week. Big prize money. One point one five million dollar prize purse. The biggest prize purse in the history of triathlon happening in Daytona, Florida at the Daytona International Speedway. Huge, huge pro field. And um there is still a pandemic happening. And so we had a lot of questions about this. So we are bringing in our expert commentator. We're bringing in Dee Dee Griesbauer. So if you're not familiar with Dee Dee, she's an incredibly accomplished athlete. She's a three-time Ironman champ, 70.3 champ. In 2016, she won the world She won the world championship for riding her bike, her time trial bike. That is her triathlon bike with aero bars. For 12 hours in a loop, she won that world championship. She also, this year, in 2020, she won Ultraman Florida, early 2020, obviously, and set the Ultraman world record for women. I can't believe that race happened in 2020. It feels like it was years ago, but it did happen. Alyssa, she also celebrated her 50th birthday. So Dee Dee has 
has the she knows everyone and she knows everything and so that's one reason why we brought her on and she also commentates for a lot of Ironman races she commentated for a lot of the virtual reality the VR races earlier this year is that virtual reality no they were real they were they were virtual reality they actually happened I think VR stands for virtual, virtual racing. racing yeah <laughs> so virtual racing races in a virtual reality world so yeah, that's I guess- fine Okay, because you're on a screen. Anyway, yeah. she, so she's watched a lot of racing this year. She's commented on it. She knows the field. So we wanted to get her insight on this women's field in Daytona on just the, the challenges of putting on this race. And so she's going to give us the scoop on Challenge Daytona happening this Sunday uh, right after a word from our sponsors. You've heard Alyssa and I talk about how Form Smart Swim Goggles are revolutionizing swimming for well over a year now. With the holidays approaching, we can safely say that these are the ideal gift for any triathlete or swimmer in your life. If you or someone you know is looking to be more engaged during swim sessions and wants to take their swimming to new levels, check out Form Goggles at formswim.com or head over to their Instagram at formswim, one word, where they will be running seasonal giveaways, sharing holiday offers alongside all their great swim content. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two-hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question, an easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport, keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question, a three-day, 16-hour, fastest known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. i definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. Again, that's Live Feisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at NoonLife.com. Hi, Dee Dee. Welcome back to the Iron Wind Podcast. It's been a while, but we're so happy to have you returning in a slightly different capacity this week as our expert guest. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to be back with you guys and good to see your faces. Yes, even virtually, like the social interaction is good for us. So this week, our our topic is Challenge Daytona. So we want to start by setting the scene. And Challenge Daytona is scheduled to happen this weekend, this Sunday. It's a unique race. The course is unlike anything we've ever seen in non-drafting triathlon. It's taking place entirely within the Daytona International Speedway. Uh, The race distance is unique, so it features a two-kilometer swim, an 80-kilometer bike, and a 13-kilometer run, and the prize money is unique because this race features the largest prize purse in the sport of triathlon has ever seen. It's a $1.15 million prize purse. Big, big money. So... And then there's, of course, the negative side that this race is one of the only races happening worldwide because we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. So there's so many unique features about this race. What do you want? Can you pick one? What would, which one would you expect to be the biggest one that is going to be burned into our memories? So when we look back and we think back to Challenge Daytona 2020, what do you think we'll be thinking of? 
I, I honest to goodness, I like I've put some thought into this and I don't think you can pick just one thing. I think the fact that they are attempting to put on a race of this magnitude with this prize purse, which is a huge draw for the athletes to the extent that they are like having to get special travel visas and face monster quarantines in some certain cases when they go home. I, I think the fact that they're putting this race on in the midst of not only a pandemic, but numbers spiking worldwide at this point in the pandemic, I think that's the thing that we're gonna remember the most is that they got this race up off the ground with all of the challenges that they've faced and all of the things that they're doing to keep the athletes safe. I talked to Laura Siddle today, actually, she is actually on site already in Daytona and she was talking about some of the protocols that they've got in place. All the athletes, of course, had to be COVID tested prior to travel. Um, they'll be tested several times on site once they arrive. They're all allowed a plus one support person. That person had to be COVID tested. Um, they're doing multiple layers of COVID testing throughout the week, multiple layers of mechanical doping controls to check all the, um, the bikes. Um, they're doing for the first time, it's non-compulsory to start, but it's a, a blood test. It's a dry spot blood test. Um, which is, I think, sort of tipping the hat to maybe some new anti-doping protocols. At this point, it's non-compulsory. The athletes don't have to do it. Um, it's more for research purposes. But they are starting to include a lot of different things into this race, bringing athletes in from all over the world. Uh, huge prize purse, as you said, in the middle of a global pandemic. I think that in itself is, is the thing that we're going to remember, is the fact that this race got off the ground in the middle of a pandemic. I'm glad she talked about the plus one situation. I was wondering because a lot of these athletes do, you know, racing for this kind of money, they will bring support crew. Right. And like, I was thinking of how that would work because it's almost like, do you want your support crew there at the race or do you want your support crew back home when you're quarantining to be able to like go <laughs> help you like get your groceries and things that you're going to be able to need once you're, you're back home. So like take your, pick your poison, I guess, with your support crew, but that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like, you know, they have definitely thought through everything once, twice, three times, four times, I'm sure. And I think, you know, hopefully we get to hear more about the details with like the mechanical doping side too. Like I just out of curiosity would love to hear more about kind of how that's yeah. run and, and things like that. Yeah. I, she didn't offer a lot of details and I don't know if that's because either she didn't know, didn't want to tip her hat to the athletes so that they can, I don't know, secret squirrel fix whatever it is that they're trying to hide. But I, I think it's exciting that the, the extent that they're going to, to make it a clean race, a fair race, and and above all, given what's going on with the pandemic, a, a safe race. And I think they're doing everything that they can um, to, to make it bad. I mean, they're discouraging people from sharing cars, like only share cars with your plus one, um, because if anybody in your carpool tests positive, then the entire carpool has to quarantine. They're doing, again, they're doing the multiple layers so that if someone has a positive test, right out of the gate. If subsequent tests are negative, they will treat that first test as a false positive and allow the athlete to race. If subsequent tests are positive, then that's a different story. Um, and they've got protocols in place to, to handle that. So it's, it's a big deal. Um, spectators go in through a different entrance. So spectators are allowed at the race on the speedway, but they go in through a different entrance, have zero access to the athletes and to the plus one support. So it's, it's pretty full lockdown. So it's, 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 it'll be interesting to see they have very rigorous 
training schedules. Uh, they've brought in a bunch of Wahoo kicker trainers. Uh, they've got treadmills in place for the athletes to use. Pool time, that's all been highly scheduled to keep the athletes safe and the numbers down. Um, so it's a huge, huge production. And I think that is the number one thing is just the magnitude of the production in light of the pandemic is, is quite remarkable. I have to say, I was also wondering where some of these athletes were finding so many trainers and treadmills in their, <laughs> their like, you know, facilities in these days leading up when they had traveled in from abroad early and things like that. So that explains a lot. But Didi, I want to talk about prize money too. So we all know that Challenge Daytona is not a new race. In 2019, the race featured a $20,500 prize purse, which meant that first place took home $3,900. The 2020 version is serving as the Professional Triathletes Organization, or PTO as we know it, World Championship. And thanks to a huge influx of money from the PTO, the prize purse increased to that record $1.15 million. So that means this year, the first place man and woman each receive a $100,000 payday, and every participant will earn, every professional participant, we should say, <laughs> probably, will earn $2,500. So I mean, that's a massive, massive increase in just a single year for this race. So do you think the unprecedented prize purse has succeeded in making this a deeply competitive world championship caliber field? I think it's definitely got, it's piqued the interest, I think, of a lot of athletes that otherwise might not have given sort of a non-drafting race format in the beginning of December much thought, um, particularly some of the um, the ITU athletes, the, the draft legal racing athletes who whose seasons might have otherwise been over. If this had been sort of a regular race uh, with a regular prize purse, that it wouldn't have have piqued their interest to to maintain fitness this late into the season to to travel to come. So I think again, as I said, a lot of these athletes are jumping through some pretty massive hoops to even compete. But at the same time, no, like even in spite of how big this prize purse is, we have a number of world-ranked athletes and, and big notable names on both the men's and women's side who looked at the math and said, given how strong this field is and given the amount of money I would have to spend to travel to the US and then pay for quarantine on the way home, um, run the risk of getting ill right around the holidays, a lot of athletes, despite the massive prize purse, opted out and said, no, thank you. Um, so yeah, I think, the prize purse is is definitely has brought together a, an unbelievable field of, of athletes. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't enough to get everybody. And there's still people missing. You know, there's still people missing from the start line. And we will touch on who's missing and who's racing in a second. But first, I wanted to ask about the venue. And this is an exciting venue for a race. The swim is a two-loop, two-kilometer or 1.2-mile swim in Lake Lloyd, which is right on the Daytona International Speedway property. The bike is 80 kilometers or just under 50 miles, and it's done as 20 laps of the 2.5-mile or 4-kilometer tri-oval loop, which is the same loop that's used in, at the famous Daytona 500 NASCAR race. Then the run is 13 kilometers or eight miles, and it's done as four laps of 2.8 miles or four and a half kilometers, also done on the same tri-oval as the bike with a little bonus section in each lap to get the extra mileage. So Didi, you're an athlete who is no stranger to racing laps. We've talked about some of your world record attempts where you've, you've done these major lapped courses, on, especially on the bike. What do you think about this course? You know, it's going to be familiar, I think, more familiar to some of the ITU athletes who are used to lapped courses, um, used to lapped traffic on courses. Um, 
But again, I think, you know, some of the other things that we didn't mention in what's making this course unique, a 20 meter draft zone in addition. So that's something new for the athletes. I don't know. And I think it was still to my knowledge, and I'm certainly not an expert on this. I haven't been involved at all. Um, with the rules, but several of my squad mates are racing. So there was, there was plenty of talk about it. I don't know if they're having a stagger rule. Um, because when you think about the number of athletes, it's a four kilometer loop on the bike, right? When you think about staggering those athletes 20 meters apart, particularly at the end of the women's bike and the beginning of the men's bike, because I believe the race start times are two hours apart. So there may still be some women on the bike when the men start the bike. And when you factor in that 20 meter draft, like mathematically, yes, there's room for everybody, but there's going to be some congestion out there. So I don't know whether there's a stagger rule. So that's going to be, um, you know, something else. So in terms of laps, yes, pacing, it makes it easy to pace. We, you know, um, you can just sort of hit lap button, you know, in addition to watching your power and, and see, um, I think above all, this course is really going to test an athlete's ability to hold arrow, right? Aerodynamics in this race are going to be so, so important because of that 20 meter draft, right? There's going to be no benefit at, at 20 meters. Um, and the fact that it's just a flat course, you're going round and around and around. So the aerodynamics, I think, are going to make a really, really big difference um, in this race. So the athletes that are uh, more comfortable holding arrow and, and being tight about it, I think, are going to be at a real advantage. Um, I think it's a spectacular venue in terms of um, garnering you know, viewership. I think it's going to be, you know, I don't know anything about the production of it, um, but I think it's going to be really, really exciting to watch. And I think the both Challenge and, and the PTO have done a great job in, in making um, uh, a long course triathlon sort of viewer, spectator friendly. And I think that's really exciting. I will say, I just looked at the schedule and I believe the women start at 10 a.m. and the men start at 2 p.m. So there should be four hours. Oh, so four hours. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully everyone should be off the course. But do you think kind of looking at that, do you think that the bike is going to be like the big deciding factor? Just I hadn't even thought about that, though, even because with 48 women, you know, 20 meters apart and there's only two and a half miles like that is you're going to run out of space. And so that well, is very, very interesting. I guess with the stagger roll, though, rule you can ride closer. You have that box, right? So you can actually ride like side by side, right? Yes. Okay. So with the stagger so... rule, you can be side by side. I don't know if they're using the stagger rule though. I think that was still oh, to be determined. But then okay, think see. about that in terms of race dynamics, because there are going to be, I mean, you look at the caliber of the field and again, we'll get, we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, in a little bit, but there's going to be some big packs of women together on this race. So if you're even with a pack of, six, seven, eight women out of the swim and you're all riding 20 meters apart. If you think about, okay, I don't want to sit here sixth wheel. I want to make a move, but think about how far you have to surge yeah. to get to the front and you can't slot in. So you're still not allowed to slot in, but the, the requirement to make those that many passes, it's going to be really hard to break apart this field. So as important as I think the bike is in terms of aerodynamics being super duper important given the nature of the course, I think it's going to be super hard to make a break on the bike because of not only the caliber of athletes, but the 20 meters of, of drafting to get that, to, to make a pass and, and try to make a break in that context is really difficult. 
Well, and I think people might be used to make, trying to make a move, you know, and you're like inclined to try and, you know, this, the Uber bikers here are going to be like, this is my time to make the move. And we'll probably get to see how many matches they burned by doing so once, you know, they get onto the run, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it will obviously come down to the run because I think there's just enough firepower, swim and bike combined with women who can run. I mean, there are just women here who are legitimately seemingly bulletproof, like they, they just don't have a weakness. And that's going to make for a really, really exciting race. Um, and some of the, you know, because this is sort of a meeting of, of short course specialists and mid to long course specialists, um, it's going to be interesting. Some of those Uber bikers who may be back a little bit out of the swim. And, and these are swimmers that at least on the long course triathlon side of things, they're not bad swimmers, but when you put them head to head with an ITU swimmer, that's just next level. <laughs> and I think that separation, there's not very many, I think of the long course specialists who are going to be able to hold pace with the short course athletes at that kind of pace and speed uh, for the swim. So I think some of the Uber bikers will be able to bridge the gap, but I think once the groups, if there are multiple groups of sort of sort of second pack, what we would consider second pack long course swimmers who are not by any means bad, but if they are able to bike up and close that gap to the, to the lead group of faster swimmers, will there be separation from there? I'm not sure that's going to be possible in this sort of race setup, but it'll be exciting. I, I should know the answer to this, but is is there a rule about getting if you get lapped out? Do you get do you have to stop? Do we know? That was being debated as well, and I don't think so because in two kilometers, I mean, there's there's people that would be lapped out out of the they wouldn't even get on the bike. They right. it would just be they'd be paid twenty five hundred dollars to go swim two kilometers. They would never even have a chance. I mean, because you think about like how long does it take to bike? four kilometers. I mean, that's like six minutes, minutes or yeah, yeah six, not eight, much, not long. I mean, like how fast going. Yeah. But you think about some of the, some of the, the, the super fast swimmers and there are some long course people who don't swim that well, that would be lapped out before they even got to their bike. So I think it was, it was being discussed if that was a way to whether that would make it a, a more fair race because you wouldn't have lapped athletes sort of interfering with the front of the race, so to speak. Um, but I, I don't, I, I think it was decided that that was not fair. It basically turns into a race for good swimmers. <laughs> That's interesting. But I guess we'll find out kind of what they, what they decide for sure with that, but, but let's get into the competition with some of the athletes. Um, we have Holly Lawrence and Ann Haug, which they had quite the rivalry at the 70.3 distance in late 2017 and early 2018. They traded first and second place finishes at races like Bahrain, Dubai, and Oceanside. And since then, we've seen them both sidelined with some injuries and then come back with really great seasons at the end of 2019. So Holly finished second at the 70.3 World Championships in Nice, and Ann won the Ironman World Championships, of course, in Kona. But the pair hasn't raced each other since early 2018. So do you think a Holly versus Ann matchup here is the race to watch in Daytona? I definitely think that you would not be wise to bet against either one of those women for being on the podium. <laughs> I definitely think that all eyes will be on those two. But 
there's just there's just too many other big names who are going to be fighting for that podium and on a given day could could upset you know that rivalry and and find themselves on the top i just think there's too many quality women and let's not forget one other aspect of this really unusual 2020 year and that's you know how many of these women haven't raced yet this year and so if you think about it i mean we're all professionals when you haven't raced for a while, you get a little rusty, right? Like you just, you forget things and packing and you, you're a little rustier in transition. And I started and- having my first anxiety dream about returning to Ironman racing. And I lined up for the start. And then I like looked back and I was like, oh my gosh. And I looked at my boyfriend, Matt, and I go, I forgot to put any nutrition anywhere. And I had like, <laughs> literally this week I had this dream where I like, for so yes, to say the least, I'm a little worried about being rusty myself. I mean, I think, I think. <laughs> Every, those of us that haven't raced in a while are like, am I going to remember how to do this when races come back online? Like, a, a, am I still am I still able to do this? And so you look at sort of who's raced of, of the top. I mean, I, I know Holly Lawrence raced in Cozumel 70.3, but wasn't really pressured at all. So she hasn't raced in a pressure situation. Um, I think Anna Haug has done a little bit of racing in Europe. Um, uh, Paula Finley, who I think is, you know, the Canadian who I think she's going to be fighting for the podium. She was meant to race Texas 70.3 last weekend. And that of course got canceled right at the last minute. So you look around at some of these top names, Lisa Norden, I think another name that's going to factor in, um, she's gotten to race quite a bit in Sweden this summer. Again, not necessarily pushed because they're smaller, more local races, but just having that sort of race adrenaline and having that race experience, I think is going to make the athletes slightly sharper. So when we look at who's contending, you know, if a Paula Finley is, is able to fight for the podium, but it's just a little rusty because she hasn't raced in a year. I don't think she's raced since this race last year. That I think is going to play a role. So, so you- I think, yeah, I think it's hard to bet against Anna Haug and Holly Lawrence, but I think there's a lot of women that are going to have something to say about it. Didi, previous uh, results suggest this course is fast. And with it being a little bit shorter than the traditional 70.3 race, as you've kind of alluded, it's going to be very interesting to see the draft legal ITU stars in the mix. So what do you think about having athletes like the 2012 Olympic gold medalist Nicholas Spierig and Great Britain's Jody Stimson racing a course like this and competing with athletes who typically excel at longer distances? Well, I think the slight nod to the to the short course specialist in terms of racing strategically, I think there's going to be a lot of strategy involved with this race because of the course, because of the setup, because of the caliber of field. Um, I think race dynamics and racing strategically, the smart racers are going to benefit given this race setup. And so I think slight nod to some of the short course athletes who are forced to race strategically every time they toe the line. The long course athletes, you know, we tend to try to get in our own little bubble. Oh, race your race. I can't be impacted by the, what people are doing around me. That's not going to fly here. Like you have to respond to moves being made because the caliber of athlete is too good. The pace is going to be too hard. Um, that I think you've, you've got to respond if you're able. So I, I think slight nod to, to some of those ITU athletes, but again, I said it before, I think aerodynamics are going to be really, really important. And that's why you know, we've seen a lot of virtual racing this year and we've seen a lot of people, you know, that we think, oh, you know, she must be super fit. You know, she was crushing the VR racing or she was, you know, crushing the Zwift series. It doesn't necessarily mean they'll excel in this format where I think aerodynamics are going to play a big deal. And so that's the question, you know, someone like Jody Stimson, um, how well does she ride aero? How comfortable is she in on a TT bike? 
Uh, I know Nicholas Spierig, you know, has had some experience racing 70.3 and an Ironman um, several years ago. I mean, she's, I can say this because I'm older, but she is a tough old bird. So I think she's going to factor in for sure. Um, but I think that's going to be one of the things that's going to challenge the ITU athletes more is that they're less comfortable racing, you know, on a TT bike, you know, in aero, things like that. So interesting additions for sure. And I think it's definitely going to change the pace at the front of the race, uh, given the swim speed that we're going to see from some of the short course specialists. And a few of the women on the 2020 start list have raced in Daytona before, Canadian Paula Finley, who you mentioned, she actually won the race there last year in 2019, 2012 Olympic silver medalist, Lisa Norden, who's been mentioned was third and fan favorite. Of course, Meredith Kessler was also on the podium here in 2018. So do you think course experience plays into this at all? Like, do you think that, you know, some of these women who have raced there before have an edge on this kind of unusual type of course? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say no, because I don't think the course is all that technical. I think race knowledge and race experience comes in handy. Course knowledge comes in handy if the course is technical. We take uh, like Nice, you know, uh, 70.3 Worlds in Nice. I think knowing that course, we saw a lot of athletes go out there early to, to get comfortable on the descent. I don't think you have that technical aspect to this course. I think the athletes that are going to thrive in this race are the the ones that rise to the occasion on race day, the ones that love the big pressure races and stand up to that well. I think that's going to be a bigger factor than sort of course knowledge or familiarity having raced here before. It's a whole different race than it was a year ago. I mean, not that it was a sleepy race last year, but it was sort of an end of season race where some people were just having one more race experience before they shut down the year. Um, It wasn't as pressure packed. I think the pressure with all eyes in the triathlon world on this one race as the one sort of big race that's gone off this year. I think it's going to be the pressure players, the one that's those that can rise to the occasion under pressure that are going to be really successful. I wonder too, if that's going to come into play, right? Like, are we going to have our Olympians who just can handle the big stage, you know, shine in a little bit better when the pressure is on, right? The lens is in your face and all of that versus people who are used to, you know, Ironman Texas, where it may have coverage, it may not, you know, like people might not find out for two days who won some sometimes. So, uh, you know, that that's a great point. I think especially with a lot of professional athletes who have been kind of sitting this year, waiting, waiting and waiting for the opportunity. It's a also a very easy way to let the pressure we put on ourselves mount, you know, and get to be a big thing come race day. And I think these athletes, I mean, again, I don't know the details, but I think they're going to be super busy during race week. They've got a lot of obligations. This is a big deal. The PTO wants this to go very, very well. This is a crown jewel for challenge now. It's it's a big deal and they're going to use these athletes a lot. So it's going to be uh, just a, it's going to be a busy week. I mean, we think about Kona race week, right? Think about how many obligations and how busy that is. Uh, for athletes at the Ironman World Championship, I think this is going to be minus the sponsor participation and that sort of thing. I think the athletes are going to have a lot of media requests. I think there's going to be a lot of obligations during the week that's going to add to the pressure apart from just the race. 
Didi, we mentioned the pandemic earlier and 2020, as you kind of alluded, 2020 has not been an easy year for travel. So many of the countries have closed their borders. And even if you can cross international borders, as you kind of mentioned, athletes could face strict and expensive quarantine rules upon their return to their home countries. So despite these barriers, we have, we, we do see athletes on the start list like New Zealand's Amelia Watkinson. She's fresh off a three race Australian win streak. And as well as Aussie and Coda podium finisher, Sarah Crowley, she's making the trip to Daytona. So are you surprised by how many international athletes are planning to race this weekend? I'm not just because what we mentioned before, obviously the prize money is enormous. Um, The exposure that the athletes are getting from racing there is also enormous. Um, I think, you know, sponsors are going to be pleased as punch to have athletes, you know, actually out there racing. So I think it's great opportunity for the athletes to uh, represent their sponsors, many of whom for, for the only time this year and, and several um, I'll say all of them in a, in a, on a big stage for the first time this year. So it's not necessarily surprising, but I'm also surprised how many international international athletes are not racing. And I think that speaks to both what you mentioned, the, the hurdles, the financial cost of, not only coming to the race, um, airfare from Australia was insane, plus the mandatory quarantine upon returning home that they have to pay for. Um, and I think a lot of athletes, maybe d- even despite the prize money, just said, look, this year, it's it's a wash. I'm, I'm, I've taken this year more of a, a sabbatical to be kinder to my body, and I'm willing to forego the big prize money and just sit this one out. So I think there's a lot of more international athletes than domestic athletes that are that are sitting it out because of the challenges based on geography. Um, so while I think it's great the athletes that have been able to make the trip, I think it's also disappointing because again we're missing some really really big names um, who are not racing because of some of those hurdles. And we, of course, have a strong field of Americans coming to race. The top-ranked Americans are that are racing are Jackie Herring, Heather Jackson, and Sky Munch. Jackie managed to sneak in a rare 2020 win at Ironman 70.3 Campeche in March. Heather is the current American record holder in the Ironman distance, and Sky showed she's in good form with her recent runner-up finish at Ironman Florida just now about almost a month ago. So how do you expect the Americans to be doing in Daytona? I mean, I'd love for them to do awesome, but the certainly that trio you just mentioned, Sky, Jackie, and Heather, I think are all going to have work to do coming out of the swim. Um, I think, you know, again, Sky is a strong swimmer, and Jackie is a good swimmer as well. But when you compare them to ITU-style swimming, I think they're going to be put under pressure from the time the gun fires. And that make, means for someone like Heather Jackson who compared to a Jackie Herring or a Sky would be lagging them in a long course race, she's going to have even more work to do. So I would like to see them be able to fight back. But I think given the swim, it's going to be a tough battle for them and they're going to have to be ready to, to get after it. I mean, Jackie's done very, very well in the virtual racing. Um, you know, she has been a little bit of a surprise to me uh, because I, I know she's sort of more well-known for her her run ability across the 70.3 distance and has, has had some blazing run splits, but not really hasn't really been somebody who has differentiated herself on the bike in what we call real world racing, but she certainly has across the virtual platform. So interesting to see whether that virtual racing for her has made her a stronger cyclist. Cause we certainly know she's got the goods on the run. Um, Sky 
again, I think we're all just so happy to see Sky back healthy and racing. And certainly she's got um, a lot to prove and, and a lot of sort of, I want to say, pent up race emotion from having to sit out with injury for, for a while. So great to see Sky back. And, and I hope they have a great day. But definitely amongst those Americans, um, they are going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, coming out of the swim just because of the pace of, you know, some of what some of these short course specialists are going to do, I think, in the swim. Didi, one of our biggest criticisms of the Ironman World Championships is the way professional athletes earn Kona slots. So historically, more slots have been offered to professional men than women. The current qualification system is based on proportion of starters at each Ironman race. But this system has always resulted in more professional men than women starting in Kona. So the qualification process for the 2020 PTO World Championships has seemed kind of a on-the-fly process with the rankings being frozen in March due to the pandemic. And then the top 40 men and women were offered automatic slots. More athletes were offered wildcard slots. A few more were given private invitations. I think a couple were earned via a few other PTO races. And I saw two men on the list with host nation invite next to their names. So I counted 47 women and 58 men on the start list. What do you think about the qualification process for this first PTO world championships? You know, I'm not going to knock the PTO or challenge in the slightest on, on putting this field together. Um, they have managed to assemble a world-class field in the middle of a global pandemic, and that cannot be easy. But that being said, I think this qualification process was clear as mud. I think there is, it, I think there is so much confusion as to who is getting slots. And when you look down the list of athletes, the, the start list, particularly in the women, I was super confused because the 66th ranked PTO woman is listed as an automatic qualifier, but women who are ranked higher, ranked 58th, 59th, um, they were at 52nd, 55th. They were either wildcard uh, athletes or special challenge private invitation athletes. So I don't understand how some of them, I don't know if that's a timing thing where some of them were outside of the automatic qualifiers, so they got the wild cards. And then as more people dropped out, the automatic qualifiers rolled down. But I thought at the onset of this, and again, I'm not super knowledgeable about this. At the onset of this, I thought it was, I knew it was invitation only, and I knew it was based on world rankings. And then I knew that there were going to be some wild cards. And I thought there was a communication that was sent out that said the wild cards um, were to encourage sort of young up-and-comers or athletes coming back from injury or pregnancy who didn't have time to accumulate the kind of points that befit what their status in the sport was given the last maybe 12 to 18 months, given whatever had happened in their, in their history. Um, and, and then you look at, some of, at who some of those wildcard athletes are and some of the special invites, and it, it doesn't seem to add up in terms of who is also left off. So I, I think there is some confusion that there are some huge name athletes who are not racing, who should have had, in my opinion, are of the caliber that they should have been invited, either as wild cards or special invites. Like even the special challenge invites, I don't know if those went to athletes who have been loyal to challenge races before, but then I looked down that list and I was like, I don't think some of these people have ever raced a challenge race. So 
there's just not a lot of clarity on how some of those wild cards or special invitations were given out. And, and I think that ambiguity, you know, again, no criticism. We're in the middle of a pandemic. So the fact that they have gotten this many world-class athletes together in one place and plan to do so safely in a huge event with a huge prize purse uh, that's going to have a massive amount of coverage, I think is is phenomenal. But I don't necessarily, at least with Ironman, the qualification in terms of women versus men isn't necessarily fair, but at least it's relatively clear what the process is. And I don't know if this was an evolving process given what was happening with the pandemic or I don't know how it went, but I know, it, at least for me as a, as a spectator to all of it, it was sort of confusing. <laughs> I don't know. Do you guys agree? <laughs> yeah, I think confusing. You know, the just in general, you know, transparency is huge. And so, like you said, it's one thing to have a system that you don't think is fair, and but at least you kind of understand the way it works, right? And you can do your best to work within that, the reins of that. But it's another when there's just not enough transparency to really understand where you can even do better to get, you know, and like to get on the list for a future year and things like that. And I do think that there's a lot of people missing from that start list and we'll start to talk about them now. That's a good segue here. So, um, first there's the list that's labeled unable to start due to injury, right? So that includes the woman with the number one PTO ranking four-time Ironman world champion, Daniela reef. The injured list also includes 2019 70.3 world's podium finisher and recent iron woman podcast guest Imogen Simmons, as well as some ITU superstars like Flora Duffy, Georgia Taylor Brown, and Jessica Learmonth. So do you have any insight on their injuries and, or any, anything else, you know, do you know any gossip there with <laughs> that's coming along? I know I'm sadly, I am out of gossip. I don't know. I do know, you know, if you look at some of the, um, the ITU superstars, I mean, certainly they've got to be mindful, um, of the Olympics coming up. So if they are dealing with any sort of niggle um, or injury right now, it might be something they want to take the time now to get it sorted than rather play with fire and race. If you're only 80% well, uh, do you want to jeopardize, you know, risking a more serious injury when you've got the Olympics coming up next year? So I think maybe for some of those ITU athletes, um, even though this is a huge event with a huge prize purse, the Olympics is bigger. So I think maybe they're just prioritizing getting themselves sorted. I, you know, I know, I, I only know, you know, from social media, the nature of Flora's injury. She had a couple of cysts at the hamstring attachment on the back of her knee. She's had those drained. Um, I think there's a little tendinopathy in that hamstring. So I know she's trying to get that, you know, sorted. She's back in Boulder now. Uh, working with her team. I don't know the injuries of the other athletes. I just saw Daniela again from social media that, that she had been injured. I wasn't even aware that she had been. Um, but I think certainly for some of the, the, the ITU specialists, they may have their eyes on the broader picture with next year, hopefully being an Olympic year and, and that being a bigger stage for them and wanting to get their bodies right now. But I don't know the nature of their injuries. My gossip mill is, is quiet. <laughs> 
And what about the women whose names are completely absent? We have three-time Kona runner-up Lucy Charles Barclay, who actually I think just today posted on Twitter that she has tested positive with COVID-19. So we do wish her the best in her recovery, but her name was never on the list, as well as American Olympians like Sarah True, Katie Zafaris, Summer Rappaport, and which, like you mentioned, I mean, Sarah True is not racing ITU anymore, but Katie and Summer might have been, along with the British Olympians, like really weighing weighing the pros and cons with hopefully a 2021 Tokyo Games. But also missing from the list, 2019 breakout star Chelsea Sidera, who we talked to earlier this year. Are you surprised not to see their names listed at all? We didn't even get any women host nation invites. <laughs> Well, that's what I don't understand what a host nation invite is. And maybe the United States hates women. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. But I don't know why host nation invites went to men and not to women. And again, that just speaks to the transparency. Um, you know, Chelsea Sodaro, her PTO ranking is number 11. So I'm assuming she must have declined. I mean, there's a number of women. Uh, Teresa Adam, again, we have to assume international travel, PTO ranking number five. Um, Radka Kalfelt, PTO ranking number 14, uh, Daniela Blymel, uh, PTO ranking number 13, Ellie Salthouse, uh, somebody that I was really looking forward to. She's a, she is a race day athlete. Like she is one of those athletes that rises to the occasions on the big race. I was really looking forward to seeing her race. I know she's battled some injuries earlier in the year. Um, she did race that, um, uh, PTO race, um, I believe on the Sunshine Coast, um, just a few weeks ago. And, and I don't know if she was maybe disappointed with her results there and just didn't want to make that big a trip. Uh, but a lot of women, it would be nice to know that they either turned it down or like what happened and how the slots were allocated. Like, like you said, Alyssa, I think transparency, I think just makes everybody feel better about the process. Sarah True is one that I just am, I am scratching my head. I, I don't understand it. I, I truly, truly don't understand it because I think she would have factored in in a big way to this race because she has the ITU background. She's got that speed potential. Um, we know she's a big racer, um, you know, from her ability to walk into the Ironman World Championship for the first year she competed there. I think she was fourth. Uh, we know she she's a pressure athlete. She, she rises to the occasion in pressure situations. And I think, again, if we're looking at host nation invites, both of them went to... ITU athletes on the men's side, it would have been nice to see Katie Zafaris and, and Summer Rappaport with host nation invites as well. I think there was opportunity there. And again, I don't know if that's opportunity missed or if that's opportunity declined. And that's just where the transparency wasn't, um, you know, and, and certainly they're under no obligation, you know, it sort of maybe adds to some of the mystery, but I think it's missed opportunity. There are definitely athletes that I think we would have loved to have seen on that stage some we can, you know, suppose, you know, in the case of a Teresa Adam, that that's just too much, too big of a trip and, and too many hurdles to, to jump to, to come um, to an event like this. But for, for people who already live in the U.S., I, I think it's particularly when, when the field numbers aren't even close to even that there might have been opportunity for a few more women. I mean, we're not dealing with a limited size of a, a peer or any of those sort of random excuses we've heard in the past as to why there's not more room for women um, in races. It seems like there would have been opportunity there. But again, because of the lack of transparency, we don't know if those invitations were extended and declined or if they were never extended at all. And that's, you know, I, I can't necessarily comment if I don't know the answer to that, but there are definitely some big names. I mean, this race, as big as it is, could have been even bigger.
Dee Dee, can I ask, were you invited? You are ranked in the top 100 of the PTO. I was, you know, it's funny. I had um, my whole entire squad, um, training squad, is is racing, except me. <laughs> so obviously, this has been the talk um, at Swim Squad for for quite a while now. And uh, like several weeks ago, I had serious FOMO. Like I just was, I was in a bit of state of woe is me. And um, I think like many people, we've missed racing this year. And just knowing that people were going to race. I, I had moments of regret, like, oh, you know, I was just putting myself down, like, oh, I, 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 you know, I'm such a loser. I'm not there. I have FOMO. And, you know, Julie said to me, my coach, she's like, well, why didn't you put your hand up and say you wanted to race? I'm like, because I didn't know if that would do any good. Like, my ranking wouldn't have justified a start. Um, you know, I think I'm ranked 89th. So I think the last automatic qualifier was um, 66th. And again, I didn't meet any of the wildcard criteria when they were announced being a, either a young up and comer or someone who had missed time due to pregnancy. So <laughs> I just kind of wrote it off. But I think now, um, given some of the hurdles and, and just the pandemic, like I think it's going to be a fantastic race to, to watch. And so um, I'm actually OK sitting this one out. I think it'll be I think it'll be really exciting to just see how it all plays out. But no, I wasn't invited. <laughs> I wasn't either. Just throwing it out there. (laughs) I think I'm like 87th. Would you have gone if you had been invited? I mean, it's a hard question to ask because when you haven't been invited, it's like, oh, no, I didn't want to be invited. (laughs) You know, like, um, I mean, I think I would have had to think harder if I had been invited. But um, in this case, I'm, I'm okay watching as well. I wouldn't give up my trials experience, you know, running in the Olympic marathon trials earlier this year. And that's kind of what I thought like that, you know, it did affect my ranking, of course, because I didn't race triathlons for a little while, but that experience I will cherish for the rest of my life. And I don't think I, I mean, as, as amazing as this race is going to be, I, I wouldn't trade my trials, my marathon trials experience for, for most anything these days. I mean, I can like, again, I tried to think sort of, rationally about it and looking at this list of women I mean I do have to acknowledge the fact that I'm 50 and so when I look at this list of women I would definitely had I been invited been in the $2,500 category of athletes um and again when you have to evaluate the cost and the risk and I'm like would it have been worth $2,500 well I would have been sort of I wouldn't have had FOMO but eh, I don't know so yeah I mean it's going to be exciting to watch and I guess we can just do that (laughs) And Didi, as we talked about a little bit before, you commentated for the Ironman virtual race series this year. So you do have a good idea of who's been in good form recently, despite pandemic challenges. And we always like to ask our guests guests to pick their podium finishers as well as a dark mare or dark horse. Um, as someone that you, you know, we should all maybe kind of look out for who might be coming into Daytona under the radar. So can you give us your podium picks and a dark mare? Oh, well, the funny thing is that my podium picks, and and I was thinking about it, none of these women raced a VR. <laughs> so it's, I, have, I have no idea what their form is. I mean, some of them raced in the Zwift series, and I know that they're, like I said before, I'm not sure that sort of virtual racing or racing on your trainer, particularly in most instances, because people are riding road bikes, and that's very, very different than trying to hold arrow round and round and round and round and round. So I, I'm not sure that the two have any bearing. 
Um, I'm going to say Anna Haug for the win, Holly Lawrence second, Jody Stimson third. I'm going to say Paula Finley fourth and Lisa Norton fifth. I'm going to pick top five. And I'm not going to bet against Nicholas Spearig, so she might be my, my dark mare. I'm going to give it to the old goat for... Uh, <laughs> you picked the for, gold. For... The gold medalist is a dark horse. Only in Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, again, I, it's it's the aerodynamic part of it that I'm betting against Nicola. And then, again, another athlete that I wanted to mention, uh, Katrina Matthews. I mean, what a performance she had a couple of weeks ago. And as somebody who leans more towards the long course side. I'm going to have my eyes on her as well. Alyssa, are you going to share some picks? I was just thinking that I actually, I feel very unprepared to do picks with this because I, I paid so much attention to long course racing, you know? And so when it gets to the short course picks, I really, I'm going to have to do some more. So I want to think about it a little bit more. And then when we were, we'll do it, put it in the outro when Haley and I record, I'll, I'll make sure to put my picks in before the weekend. So we know it's not like a cheating situation or <laughs> anything like, like that. I'll be back next week with my picks. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see who tests positive for COVID before I pick my picks. No, I know. I'm going to be watching your social media feed. No, Haley and I record here in a little bit. You guys, I promise. I just want to like, pull up the whole list and make sure I have my full list in front of me before I make my picks, because I, I, I always like to root for the underdog. Right. So I can guarantee, I think, you know, I'll probably pick some more of the maybe underdog people, like a whole podium full of dark mares, I think is what <laughs> maybe I'll go for, but um, you're going to pick the Olympic you guys, silver you medal. That's that'll keep everyone till the outro. So just listen to that and I'll give my picks. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. It's, it's, I'm telling you, even when you have the list in front of you, like, I spent several hours this afternoon going through this list and trying to research and think about all the different factors that are going to play in all the things we've talked about, 20 meter draft, you know, ITU swim speed, who, what long course women are going to be able to hold on to the back of that pack and what damage is it going to do to an athlete like Laura Phillip, who's got to bridge that gap. I mean, again, a great athlete, you know, how's Jackie Fer- Jackie Herring going to fare? Is she going to be sort of stuck in the middle and just unable to bridge the gap? It's not like you look at Holly Lawrence, Anna Haug, and Jody Simpson and say, oh yeah, that's, there's some low-hanging fruit on the run for Jackie Herring to run down. I mean, it's just not the case. So it literally was just no small task to to go through that list because it is, it's, I mean, Again, I'm glad I get to watch it, um, the coverage, and not from like two laps back on the speedway. <laughs> and speaking of watching this coverage, it is supposed to air Sunday, December 6th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. I believe it'll be streamed online. I signed up for the updates, so fingers crossed I figured that one out. But since you are not commentating this time, Dee, we usually do. If you aren't racing, you're usually commentating, but here you are not. Are you planning to watch? I am, although I don't know. Do, do you have to pay to watch it? Or is that that's a donation to the PTO COVID relief fund? Okay, I saw yes. that today. So yesterday when I signed up for the updates, it was just like sign up here. And then today it's like donate to sign up. And I was like, oh, no. But and then I went to look at it and I don't think you – I think you just sign up. I don't think you actually have to donate. I don't know why it says donate. I think, I think there was uh, – you know, again, I, I am only – this is complete like 15th hand knowledge because I, I do not know – I think originally they were planning on charging to view the coverage, but that sort of ran counterintuitive to the fact that they really wanted this to be, they wanted so many eyes on this event, but then if you're charging for it, that's sort of disincentive to watch it. So then I think that's maybe when the pivot happened and they made it a, 
optional donation if you want to donate to the to the PTO COVID relief fund um, as a gesture for the coverage that you are blessed to watch, or you can just watch it. So I'm not entirely sure, but I'm glad I'm not the only one that was slightly confused by that, amongst other things. Um, again, this this event just historic and just massive and maybe it's because we're starved for racing um so full credit to to challenge the pto for getting this off but there have been some things that i'm like wait what huh? <laughs> i understand <laughs> but again first year event so i'm not being critical but um there are some some it hasn't been fully transparent but i again i think just think that speaks to the difficulty of putting on an event of this magnitude with the challenges that they have and, and the things that they've had to overcome, even in the past couple of months with just numbers spiking in the past few weeks, I mean, increasing those protocols and cares, um, you know, to keep the athletes safe. I mean, it is a massive, massive undertaking. So it's going to be an exciting one. It's definitely a day-to-day -day change. So let's hope that it can at least stay constant to get this race off the ground so we can be watching on Saturday. I mean, Sunday, Sunday morning, people. Don't, don't turn it on Saturday because we won't be there. So, <laughs> Dee, Dee, thanks so much for uh, chatting with us tonight. And um, your insight's always so valuable. And I'm looking forward to next race season where hopefully we can all be again racing together in person soon. Wait a minute. Haley, how did you get out without making picks? Oh, oh yeah, I'll make mine. I, I was like, I was like, I guess Alyssa and I are doing the outro one. I'll I'll make my picks. My picks are I'm picking Holly Lawrence for the win, Nicholas Spearig for second, and Annie Haug for third. And my dark I mean, or should I go all the way to fifth? I'm gonna pick fourth. I'm gonna go with like Amelia Watkinson. She seems like she's been on fire. Fifth. Um oh, this, now it's getting hard. <laughs> Jody, Jody Stimson for fifth. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Paula Finley. <laughs> I'll go to sixth. <laughs> and then my dark mare. Should I go to 60th? Are there? No, I'll go to 47th. Let me, no, I'm just kidding. My dark mare, I'm actually picking. I think I'm going to go with Vanilla Langridge because I think she has the swim speed to get up there and she's kind of under the radar. She got hurt last year. She was having some great races. So I'd like, I'm excited to see. Hopefully she's healthy and see how she does. So, um, I will be, I'll be anxiously watching, but thanks for, thanks for holding me accountable there. <laughs> it is hard. It's hard. Like you said, like, I don't even have the list in front of me, but I'm like, oh, now I'm going to feel bad that I forgot that person, but it's, it's going to be a fun race to watch. I think. Alyssa, you will not believe who just bought an Orca wetsuit. Ooh, tell me. My dad. No way. I didn't even realize your dad was a swimmer. It's news to me too, but really nothing surprises me these days. I think he really liked the high visibility orange sleeves on the Orca open water core wetsuit. So with the Iron Woman 15 discount code, he ordered one from orca.com and spent less than $150. That's a great deal. If any of our listeners want to be like Haley's dad, check out the full line of wetsuits and gear for open water swimming, triathlon, and even swim run at orca.com and use that Iron Woman 15 code for 15% off. triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen, 
and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. All right, Alyssa, you've had a few minutes since we got off the phone with Didi. I Are you ready to give us your picks? Haley, and I just want the record to show that I am being honest with what I... So I was writing down some picks and then we continued chatting after the recording a little bit and I wanted to change one of my picks, but I I didn't. So just let the record show this is as of before before post-recording talk. So... My pick going the, with your gut, but I'm only picking three for the podium. Yes, I'm picking a true podium of three women, and I'm going with Annie Haug as the for the win, Sarah Crowley, and then Paula Findley to round out that. And my dark mare is Carrie Lester. I think you know it, she's you know hasn't been racing, but I think rested she could do quite well in that field. So um, we'll see what what she can put together out there. Well, we will be excitedly watching that race this Sunday, December 6th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Check out that Challenge Daytona website if you want to figure out how to stream it. Um, Hopefully there will be some live streaming. They're they're pretty good on the social media too. The PTO, Professional Triathlete Organization. Check them out and uh, follow along because this is going to be exciting. It is the big race of the year. Big money and exciting venue. And Didi got me fired up. I'm, I'm excited to watch. So uh, big thanks to her for all, offering so much insight into what we can expect. And it sounds like what we can expect might be unexpected because, again, a race like this has never happened before. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be really fun to watch. And Haley, I look forward to catching up with you next week and we can give kind of a rundown on what we think went down. Great. Alyssa, have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zelio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Oh,